Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruden. On today's episode, Kent Lewis, CEO, founder of Anvil Media. Kent, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So I just want to geek out about podcasts at first. Let's do that. So we were just talking about you had a show yeah. for five years you were doing yeah, it. That kind five of years. kind of got erased a little bit. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I think there's a movie on Netflix called Erase or something like that where you can remove yourself from all the video cameras in the world, but that's kind of what happened. Um, for five years, I um, basically I was asked by a, a husband and wife team had a show called Parenting Unplugged. They came to me and said, you know, peg a team, our company, we're going to do branded podcasts for brands like, and they did for years for Keen and some other brands, mm-hmm. Keen Footwear. And he's like, do you want to do a dad's unplugged? Like just you and me talking about dad stuff? Because there's not a lot of guys talking about dad yeah. stuff. And especially this is, we started almost 10 years ago. Wow. And back when it wasn't cool. It was, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, it just got to the basement. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we started, we did half hour shows once a week for nearly five years. And we did a couple we called man cave editions where we'd tape for one to two hours wow. with beverages and four to 10 guys. Um, we did have Daniel Baldwin when he lived in Portland mm. um, come in for a two hour, three hour session. And we had like, you know, 15, 20 guys showed up. And it was, the most entertaining two hours of my life. Yeah. Like that guy is a storyteller. He's like, he's like Alec, his more famous brother, but he's a merchant Marine version. Okay. So <laughs> his language is not good. Yeah. A little rough around a little the flair, edges. But yeah, yeah. he's, and they're, they're gifted storytellers. So that was like our best episode. We did a great Christmas edition where he told these great stories of, you know, like, you know, the whole Santa Claus thing and mm-hmm. how, how does that, how do you, as your kids age, what happens and cool. great stories of like, using cowboy boots to put in reindeer things around out in the snow where they, one of the dads built a swing set in like 30 degree weather when it was snowing (laughs) and put in the reindeer tracks after like all those little details. Um, But anyway, so for five years we recorded and then unfortunately they had some financial difficulties and it shut down the company. And as part of that, they removed everything off the internet. There's not a trace of dads unplugged. How many episodes did you do? Oh man. I mean, once a week, I mean, um, probably 40 wow. plus a year. Mm-hmm. So it was a couple hundred episodes. Oh, that's a bummer. That's such a bummer. <laughs> and some of it was good. I, you know what? I don't think I listened to one in its entirety that entire time. I, just, I hate hearing my voice. Sure. Well, we all do, right? right? It's kind of part of the deal. Right. right? But it, but it was, it was truly, it opened my eyes to the power of podcasting. Um, I like to say I have a great face for podcasting <laughs> and um, it's fun. It feels easier, way less stressful than video. Yeah. Although I preach the power of video, like have your, uh, DSLR record with a good mic mm-hmm. and then you've got the video and the, t- and the audio mm-hmm. and you can transcribe to text. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big proponent of podcasting. Well, I mean, it's kind of, you are doing it, like I said, ahead of the curve a little bit. Yeah. And obviously you look in the landscape, like uh, if you know who Gimlet Media is, they just got bought by Spotify for 200 million. Yes. And it's kind of making this second wave. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on why? Like why it's been around for 15 uh, years, right? Man, so you know, why? I was wondering about that. I, you know, I'll give you like my hipster digital marketing <laughs> agency answer. And that's, I think smart speakers and the pr- proliferation of smartphones is making podcasting more relevant and easier. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, tra- while you're doing your morning commute, uh, long road trips, 
podcasting is more engaging. I think Serial really broke it open to have that you could listen to something that's absolutely riveting. That's just audio, no visual stimulation, and it works. Right. Um, I think so. I think smart speaker adoption is is driving podcasting. It's not really widely talked about, and some of those numbers are hidden by the manufacturers and the brands. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think that's part of it. Um, and so as the production values have increased since Adam Curry did the first podcast, um, it's made it more acceptable. It's made it cool. Uh, but I always wondered why that didn't necessarily happen with blogging. Blogging was this new thing. Oh, they're in the White House now, you know, press room. Yeah. And then who cares? Mm-hmm. So I have to keep reminding my clients blogging is still critical to SEO, to search engine optimization, to ranking for thought leadership. Um, but podcasting is, is, is another key way to, frankly, create blog content. It's the high, kind of higher life form that trickles down. It's a waterfall content. And I always say that to people. I mean, like, you know, podcast is great, but you can turn it into 15 pieces of content, right? And so that's that's what's so great about it. And as far as, like, from the media buying perspective, um, you know, the ads and podcasts and such, that's still a pretty small market, right? So, yeah. and what's your thoughts on, like, where that's going to go? Um, I think it'll grow, absolutely. Yeah. I think we'll see... You know, I think home speakers, smart speakers, I was just on a call earlier with a company called BWG Strategies. So they were talking with all the different manufacturers and consultants around smart home, smart mm-hmm. speaker. And, um, you know, this is the year of the doorbell, um, the year of the front door, <laughs> mm-hmm. smart home, you know, seeing what people are doing and stealing your packages and you right. see what they look like <laughs> yeah. as, they, as they make away with it. Yeah. Um, but I think, so what's interesting about that is um, that, the more speakers that are adopted, and I think once we get to 100 million speakers, maybe by the end of this year, it becomes a critical mass. Mm-hmm. So more marketers uh, are looking for ways to, to leverage smart speakers and podcasting is the, one of the best ways to do that for Google Home, for Alexa. Yeah. So I think you're going to see that be big and more podcast players like the big aggregators and the big brands are going to you know add that maybe as a skill in Alexa, but mm. mainly as a show. Hmm. Um, so I think you'll see. I think that's what's going to drive a lot of that. I've kind of seen that. So I run. I have a small like podcast network, and we have one on the Oregon Ducks. We followed the football season. We had a host to it, and we looked at it. We put it on Alexa, and a lot of the traffic, for one reason or another, was coming from Alexa. And so uh, I definitely see it growing quite a bit. Um, Specifically for like BDB brands, like I'd love you to just to riff like why you should have a podcast or what are some benefits to it. So uh, just think about the article I wrote on this subject. I think it's it's so easy to make an argument for podcasting because of the relative ease is that if you want to reach your reach new audiences in a new cost effective way, if you want to engage your current customers, I was just on a call with a prospect that their focus this year is the existing customers, which I think is super smart. It's, every year should be the year of customer service or customer engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think podcasting is a great way to do that. I think the reality is that video and podcasting are unique, that content can flow freely. It's engaging. It's easy to produce. Right. I mean, the be- beauty of your format is interviews. You only have to come up with two or three questions. There's a half-hour show. Yeah. It's brilliant, yeah. especially if there's a motor mouth like me on the other <laughs> end just filling in the air. So I think it's an easy way. It's kind of like creating blog posts by sending three or four questions to an expert, have them answer, and that's right. five, four or five paragraphs killer blog post. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that gap that the podcasting fills, but there's arguably less competition overall compared to blogs, compared to videos on YouTube. 
um, that's going to change. Mm-hmm. But um, there's less competition on iTunes yep. and Stitcher and some of those mm-hmm. channels um, as you you know build. And you can start for free, right, with existing equipment if you own right. a, a laptop and a smartphone. Mm-hmm. But in my article, I talk about for a hundred bucks, you get a condenser mic, kludge together a little sound box. And use free editing software and $99 hosting, you're off to the races, right. right? Or actually cheaper, you can do the free hosting. Yeah. So it's the barriers are small, but to do it well, you're, you're 1500 and up. I don't know how much your rig here is. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of walk through it and it's, it's evolved. I started with just a USB mic and now, you know, I have the, the focus right to i2. It's a preamp. I'm like, if you're starting your setup, that's like a must have, I think. I just got this. I'm going to kind of geek out on audio here. This uh, box called the Cloud Lifter, which adds like 25 decibels of gain because if you have like a dynamic mic, uh, you need that clean gain. And then geez, these are just two Sennheiser mics. Really, you can throw them on the ground and beat them up, and they're just great mobile what mics. What do these run? They're like 100 bucks a piece. Nice. We can step up and get the studio level of like the Shure SM7Bs, which we I also have a pair, but those are a little more if you have like a – a studio, studio, or a right. home, even Don't a home studio. Yeah, yeah. So, and these stands are like 30, 40 bucks. Yeah, yeah. So you're in it for you know a few hundred bucks, and it, it, it's great. So I think you're right though to do it well. Um, and what I see a lot of challenges to do it consistently because that's key to podcasting. I've fallen down on it before. I might like I'm posting one every week, and there might two, be two months go by, and I post one episode. So I think it's just keeping it consistent is also uh, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, that's the discipline to do any consistent blogging video or, or in this case, podcasting, it's the discipline, right? Mm -hmm. So we've been blogging here continuously at Anvil since 2004. Right. And we've been, um, and I, you know, was a podcaster for five years as a co-host. It took some discipline and I, you know, not every day was I like, I can't wait to drive across town. And, you know, we, you know, he came from traditional broadcast for the Blazers and the Beavers and so forth. He um, is not like we did a lot of prep work. It was yeah. kind of a joke. And um, but that was the also the fun part. Right. Low stakes. You know, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. It'll let's have fun. And we had some great. Um, I think the best shows were the ones that just happened. Yes. You know. Yeah, and I think from I've worked with some folks in broadcasting and in the beauty about podcasts is they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be more organic, right? So like. It's okay if there's some mistakes, <laughs> you're right. That's right. That's and totally that's, right. And that's, that's totally what right. it should be. So uh, I think I got my podcast fix in for the conversation. Yeah, Might good. Might back around it. But yeah, yeah. let's talk about just, you know, you, your agency. I'm always really interested in kind of the journey of, you know, being an entrepreneur, own your own company. i uh, love for you to open up a little bit about now that you're years in and talk a yeah. little about how it's been. Yeah. So, you know, I started, um, my agency grew up in Seattle where I grew up after graduating college in 94, the fall of 94, it was, um, not a good job market. So I basically had a full time three month, 40 hour work week, um, internship at an ad agency for a total grand total payment of $500. So it was a stipend basically. Yeah. And I had people sitting next to me making press kits and stuff, getting 12 bucks an hour, and I was getting basically nothing. Right. I was like, oh, yeah, the power of experience. <laughs> and so I moved to Portland just because one agency interviewed me down here, a PR firm, and they ended up hiring me. And I moved down within three days. I, luckily, I could. So I, I knew one person when I moved to Portland in 95, and that was my cousin. <laughs> ended up living with her. She had a roommate leave, so there were three of us in an apartment in, in Lake Oswego, and so I basically started out in high-tech PR. In less than a year and a half, I moved to the sister agency called Vivo Media, where I learned 
the importance of optimizing websites. So my P- PR background has definitely influenced my trajectory because because paid was still a few years out. It was just SEO right. primarily, but also with a PR spin. So the idea was submitting my client sites for corporate award sites for cool side of the days. Mm-hmm. That's how you navigate the internet. Yahoo mm-hmm. featured sites. Um, because there were 14 search engines and Google was still two years out. Right. So, um, so I learned how to optimize. I shared a lot of information um, through an easing that I called um, Anvil because our company Vivo it was called Vivo Media, so I called it Anvil Media. It's just a domain. Mm-hmm. So we bought that. It was just this kink kink because our <laughs> website was very at Vivo was very dark and sparks. And I was like, oh, I'll just call it Anvil because I'll be here for, until I retire. And <laughs> Nine months later, I was recruited to go to another agency, and I just kind of let um, Anvil go. But I had like 500 followers, including Fred Wilson, which is at Flatiron Partners. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a big deal even yeah. back then, but yeah. he really valued my – I would just scour and share the best news out in the digital universe. Mm-hmm. And um, when that company, six months after I started at the other agency, they went under – so I said, hey, what if we buy this domain and we keep it going? Because now we have 140 employees at this agency that's since gone. Mm-hmm. But um, to do some monthly creative, you know, really designy sort of stuff okay. with multiple. It's like a magazine at that point instead of a newsletter. And we only did like three three or four of those before I left to start my – co-found my first agency, which was Wave Rock in 99. And that's where I um, started building a team that was like really, truly digital strategy without – the PR was finally separated because in the other agency, the PR people didn't want to do online PR mm. didn't know what it was, didn't care. <laughs> and so we handled, we started by that point to look at paid search in addition to SEO building teams. And then I had a falling out with the, my, my, the founder mm. used his 401k to start the business. And I was just one of the small equity partners when he fired the two senior partners, myself and another gal that ran the PR side in September of 2000, the next week I incorporated Anvil only because it was an existing name and I took that domain. Yeah. I was smart enough at start a wave rock. I said, let's take this, but it'll be mine if I leave. It's like, yeah, I don't care. Cool. Hmm. So that went, became a monthly yeah, magazine sponsored by wave rock until I left. Then it was my Anvil was my baby, but it was just a shingle to consult under. Yeah. I got recruited to be full time at an energy company startup. And then after that ended, I immediately started a gig at, at goodguys.com as mm. their marketing and biz dev guy. Um, that Both of those lasted three months. Uh, <laughs> good guys, I got to do everything I do best um, to prove that it's actually valuable. I had no ad budget whatsoever, hmm. no marketing budget. So I back then there was something called Tower Records, a quaint record store. <laughs> I and I did, remember that. did some yeah. biz dev deals with them, <laughs> did some SEO, did some um, conversion optimization, brought in an affiliate program, built out a newsletter. And... You know, went from 6,000 daily needs to 7,000. I think I impacted the company in like two to $3 million in three months of, oh, wow. of you know, annualized. Mm-hmm. And then they sold to CompUSA long after I left. So I decided after that, well, I should go back to doing my own thing, but my heart wasn't in it. I didn't want to hire employees and I didn't like working at home with my cat. <laughs> and so I got recruited to run my old team from Wave Rock. They were acquired by another agency and my old boss died tragically wow. of a massive heart attack at 42. Jeez. So I took over my team again and that lasted six months. And then I had a falling out with that agency who was old school, 30 something year old agency at that time, mm. now gone. You know, it's a trend. <laughs> Everywhere I work, they, they start disappearing right. <laughs> uh, like ex-wives. And so <laughs> Um, so I basically said, okay, I'm not working for anybody else. I'm doing my own thing. And this is, um, January or this is April 2nd, 2002. Okay. And I'm a month or two into doing my own thing. And my buddy Ryan and I were like, we have these clients 
that need email strategy, but it's either constant contact or at once at 100K a pop. Our hmm. clients are in the three to 10K range. Let's build a company around that. Hmm. So we started email ROI in, in 02, and I ran that follow two to follow three. Well, Anvil ran on the side with my old employees as contractors. Okay. So that paid the bills while we built that company. And a year later, I decided fighting over fonts and colors with our clients on HTML templates and websites, not my bag. I want to stay with the data <laughs> side of objective search keywords and data. So I decided I can hire employees because we, we showed we could hire employees and that wasn't that scary. So basically, effectively, January 1, I had a couple employees and started building it from there. Wow. Um, and, you know, we have always focused on SEO as an expertise, but it's in, it's gone from 50 or 60% of what we do to 30% of what we do or a little less, 25, because it's a front-ended engagement. Yeah. You optimize a site, then it's light touch. Whereas with paid search, which is 60% of what we do, that's really focused on managing paid search and social, which is more likely to be outsourced because we can show a return for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, SEO doesn't mean it isn't outsourced, but typically there's resources in-house to manage a website. Yeah. So that just leaves a little bit of web web dev for primarily WordPress sites just so we can do our job and um, some light social consulting on content optimization, syndication, amplification, a la why I'm talking about podcasting, yep. all that. It's There are other ways that we can get in front of cu customers. We generally do stop at the content itself. I just don't want to have to staff for it. It'd be yeah. nice to have, but I just don't want to staff for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, tell me about, I mean, you've been in, in Portland for a while, just like the community of agencies here, because it's grown a lot since yeah. you started. I mean, it's obviously changed. it's changed a lot. Yeah. So I'd love to just kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So when I first moved here, there were like 10 big agencies and I worked for two of those, um, full service, Young and Roar Group and KVO. Both are gone. Um, both were quasi-acquired. Okay. Um, Grady Britain's still around. Yep. They've been up and down in size. North is still around. That was Johnson Sheen before that. Um, and HMH is still around. But a lot of the other well-established are gone. Um, Live and Good and some others. Um, there's others I, I won't mention because I'm not sure where their status is publicly, <laughs> but I know that there are a few that are flailing and hope they, they can pull through. But really what's happening is an aggregation. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the traditional ad agencies have had to branch out and they've acquired folks like us um, or tried to build that on mm -hmm. um, with relative lack of success. I mean, it took Wyden six times to get it right mm -hmm. before they finally became part of their, effectively more of their DNA than not. Yeah. But it took them, you know, 20 years to get digital to be truly part of their deal. Right. And they've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah. And then there's all these digital startups. A lot have spun out of Nike because Nike totally does that. They're like, hey, if you want to leave um, that agency or this business and, and corporate, we'll fund you and we'll be your biggest client. And then what they do is they save money in some ways. They have full control because they're the biggest client. And then they these companies crash. They they flash or they burn, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's an all-in sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you get a sum of that with the Intel um, Mike, uh, Nike sort of thing going here in town, but not like other markets that are even smaller or even bigger with like a dozen big brands. We, it's amazing when you go to the Midwest and it's like, Oh, there's Duracell right. and yeah. Rayovac and all these other big brands. You're like, never, I didn't know they were here. Exactly. And there's very little of that here. Yeah. A lot of those, all our biggest brands have been sucked out of market for mm -hmm. the most part. And yeah, I mean, uh, that's a blessing and a curse a little bit. Because there's yep. uh, there's a lot of great. I mean, it's a very mid market city. I, you know, I run a series of events, so I see a lot of these companies, and uh, I'm like, wow, they could do that much in revenue, or they're setting up satellite offices, and it's that's changing, and it's it's a it's a good time to be here. It's yeah. growing. Um, 
Another thing I want to talk to you about is I know you're an EO, and I always like to ask this question is you personally for your growth, just as you know, running a business, you know, being a leader, how do you manage that? Like, what are some of the things that you're involved in and, you know, how's that helped you or what? Because it's a challenge for everybody, I think. Yeah. It's like your head's down running your business or even if you're, you know, a leader at a big company, it's just like you need to branch out to keep learning and just. Yeah. I mean, I think EO, uh, entrepreneur organization, I've been in over 11 years. Um, I feel like, I guess it'll be 12 years in March. Um it's been instrumental in getting me to think beyond myself, beyond my business, beyond my employees and my clients. Um, but you know, on one hand, they like to talk about the um, what you call the e myth, right? Which is um, you know, you work on the business, not in the business. And I took I took that very literally. And mm-hmm. one of the the challenges, which is a little side story of of learning and taking everything literally that you learn in EO and it's, there's, there's no end to the insights, yeah. you know, entrepreneur operating system, strategic coach, gazelles, top grading. There's so many methodologies and, and a lot of it's been invaluable in, in growing or shaping my business. But that e-myth thing really got to me because I wasn't always working in the business, but I, there was within, honestly, within a couple of years of joining EO, I started getting complaints from my team that they didn't, they, I was disconnected. Hmm. I didn't get the business. I didn't get what they were going through. My clients, they were saying, oh, their clients don't believe that you're on the ball anymore. You know, that you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And as the le- a thought leader, that that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't in touch with our services and yada, yada. And there, there's definitely truth to that. But the reality was I was trying to look a year to five years right. ahead. Yeah. And if I'm in the weeds, I can't do that. But so there's some sh- perhaps short-sightedness in the view, but there was truth to it. So um, I wrote an article on debunking the e-myth and that it is important to primarily work on the business. But if you don't in some way have some touch point with the business in the business, then that's dangerous. Yeah. So once I started, I took on two clients out of our 50 and instantly I reconnected with the team, our services, the value we create. It was energizing. It was fun. I still have one client I've had now for almost two years that um, it keeps me fresh, it keeps me connected, like what clients are going through, and it makes me more effective, far more effective, but mainly it's brought me closer to the team, Mm. which in the agency business, the team is your product, right? Your people are your product. right? So I think that was one like side angle of like, you can take a lot of these learnings that you get to literally, which I tend to do, and then it kind of went too far, you know, one (laughs) swing of the pendulum. But in general, I, I balance out EO, is like the biggest leg of my stool of growth and and accountability. Another big one is my advisory board Mm -hmm. and including one EO member is on that advisory board. And this is for your company, not like you guys. This is for Anvil. And kind of like your personal. Not for my life. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of is too, They advise me with my wife. Yeah, no, it's it's three, you know, EO is very much more 360 with the forums talking about anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Half your life is business. The other half is other stuff, Mm -hmm. um, no matter how much you work, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I found valuable with EO and the forums is that you tend to cover things that are you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that's not really business, but it affects you. Yeah. And you are the business. So um, the advisory board is great without tons of EO confidentiality gestalt training. They can just keep me accountable on a quarterly basis mm-hmm. that I may not be getting in the same way uh, with, with EO. And then there's the, um, the agency roundtable. So mm-hmm. it's spun out of Portland Ad Fed and it's right now about, uh, just under two dozen on the email list and about 
less than half, less a little more than between a half a dozen and a dozen show up at our given monthly meetings. Okay, and we talk about everything but rates. And so yeah. the idea is like, how do we run an agency better? So I have a service forum in EO that's just service companies, but I'm the only digital marketing agency of that group. Mm-hmm. And then there are some that are complementary, but not direct competitors. And then I've got just my advisors that only care about Anvil. And then I've got EO, um, just other people in EO that just care about me. Yeah. And then um, and the round table is just agency. So I feel like that's- And a really, some of those are competitors, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, technically. Yeah, yeah. yeah some are. Um, mostly like overlaps but yeah. not direct okay. um, but there are definitely EO members that are direct competitors and yeah. you know I was the first digital marketing agency in EO here in Portland and now there's a dozen agencies and it's, I found it's far more valuable to, to be friends and acquaintances than yeah. just kvetching and you know you know, sticking your nose up at them. Right. There's a lot of respect, and that's that's a Portland thing. To get it together with pro- other agencies is unheard of. Yeah. Um, to request and suggest other agencies join that compete with you in, in the same group is pretty crazy. So I, I feel like I get that that good triangulation from those groups. That is a Portland thing. I feel that's so special about here, right? And you know, as we're growing, um, do you think that's going to change? Or that's kind of our ethos. Um, I think it's our ethos. It will inevitably change a bit. And I think that's as people age in and out of mm-hmm. like um, to a degree, EOS changes doubled in more than doubled in size since I joined. Mm-hmm. It was in the mid 60s when I joined. And now it's going to be in the low 440s. Wow. And um, and then the roundtable actually shrunk. It went from there originally, I think our first meeting was like 30 something agencies and email list of 50 and it's, and it's whittled down that our average meeting has maybe six hmm. and it's actually far more valuable yeah. because now we know how to work together and what to talk about, what not to talk about, but we're generally far more authentic. When it was that big group, everybody lied. You know, <laughs> things, things are terrible when they're great. Things are great when they're yeah, terrible. Yeah, crushing it, right, yeah. And, um, and it was just bullshit. Yeah. And so now it's like really authentic conversations. That's great. Um, so that's been, I think that's been really good. So I feel like between that and then just reading and digesting information regularly, um, through both podcasts and reading, mm-hmm. I think is, is, um, and books is, um, kind of rounds that out. Yeah. It's key. And I say that the small events I run, I always kind of position like, this is your fight club, right? Everything stays in this room. This is meant to be like, have those, yeah. hopefully create a space where you can yes. have an authentic conversation. Yeah. And, and you know, I just, the other day I, um, um, maybe we'll talk offline about this. There's a, a gal that's a VP marketing at a, at a rather large company here in the greater Portland area that she's like, I just want some insight on how to build my marketing team mm-hmm. back up. Mm-hmm. And she just took over and the team's in shambles. And so I introduced her to a friend of mine that's at Cambia and he's, he might be able to help. Um, you know, we'll see, but it's just, you know, I don't have experience building in-house teams. I have opinions, but I don't have the sure. experience. Yeah. So um, so I figured your group might be a good resource yeah, for her. Yeah, could be. But yeah. more on that later. Cool. Well, Kent, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts.